Well, that's sad. I want that back. Chris, what's what's going on, man? Look, we got a new face. How are we doing? Okay. Those are some big old dimples you got there. That's nice. Keep smiling. I like that's those are some nice dimples. Improving the show. Wow. We gotta get them. <laughs> we gotta get them nice and uncomfortable before we even get going. Well, welcome to the show, Chris. I'm glad to have you. Yes, thanks. <laughs> All right, welcome, so. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll let people get funneling in here, and uh, while we're doing that, why don't uh, we uh, have you introduce yourself, Chris, uh, a little bit about yourself, so that uh, the new listeners can uh, figure out who you are, because you're going to be around for a little while. Possibly. Um, so yeah, um, pool player from the UK. I live on a little island uh, called Jersey, which is like nine miles by five miles wide. It's about ten miles away from France. That's why I'm really the only player over here where I live. Uh, I started playing maybe uh, properly in 2019. Uh, I played English Eight Ball and a bit of snooker before that. Uh, so now I'm just trying to enter all of the matchroom events, some of the Euro Tour bits, maybe a GB9 here or there, but just really try and find my way in the game and see see if I can go uh, any good distance, really. Sure. And you just played in the UK Open, had a couple of... Uh... Decent scalps. Of course, we wanted to have you and Jim on because you guys both played in this event. So uh, let's hear your takeaways first off. What did you think? The event was amazing. You know, it's just unbelievable. The venue was maybe maybe a better pool venue even than Mandalay Bay was uh, in 2019 for the US Open. It's just a, you know, it's a custom-built sports venue, you know, maybe 20,000 seater or something. Um, so, yeah, it was just a great production again you know they they hardly ever put a foot wrong um matchroom um tables were great playing conditions were were brilliant one day it rained really heavy outside so the tables played a bit heavy one day but that's nothing to do with matchroom uh and yeah just just a great environment to play pool in really jim what do you think you were there yep i got the same opinion it was uh yeah the conditions were fantastic i mean what we see on the on 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 one side of it is, you know, is one thing, and then what happens behind the scenes is 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 another. But what they put out in front for the players to play on the conditions, the arena was great. Um, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to play. It was nice to get a taste of what a matchroom table really feels like to play on. It is different, you know. I would knew that going into it. Um, and uh yeah the the setup was great they they put the tables into little groups of four so that one referee could look after that one group of tables and that worked pretty well kind of thing they got the most out of the referee's time that they could um again same old thing as usual you know the, you, you can discuss whether or not the rules are correct for matchroom the the one being on the spot with the with the magic rack and break whenever you like it's a little bit easy uh some players got caught out by half decent players because the level of, of Sorry, the level you needed to play to make it different for one of the top guys was not particularly high, really, you know. So, um, you know, a lot of the top players weren't happy that the, the, the advantages they would get normally with their, you know, their, the, the break that they've developed over years. They were getting the same results as somebody who can't break the balls, you know, which, you know, they weren't happy about. Um, Winner break format, fine for me. No problems with that, really. Um and I enjoyed uh, sitting there watching the matches once I once I was done in the tournament. But you know, there are, as always, there's things that they could improve on, which I'll probably go into later on. Yeah. 
Well, uh, let's hear from you, Pinoza. What did you think about, uh, I guess, obviously you weren't there. You were watching from home like the rest of us. So uh, what did you think? I thought the arena was fantastic. I thought it was probably the best setup that I've seen them put together yet. Uh, the three big, the three TV type tables up front looked really good. Uh, I loved that it was in a venue that had seating around it and that horseshoe and some seating upstairs. I'd love to see it get, you know, I would love to see an event like this develop to the point where it's a, a staple at the same place every year at the same time every year and you start to build up an audience and a crowd because it would be really cool to see those seats full. Um, it would make it a, a spectacular venue then. But I thought the arena was great. Um, you know, I heard a lot of players and a lot of people talking about the same type of things Jim was mentioning in terms of format and that type of thing. And, you know, it's uh, all these things kind of going hand in hand. I mean, you know, if you have, you know, let me ask you this, Jim, what do you think Matchroom's ideal end game is? Is it wood rack, referee racking, four inch pockets, one on the spot? Is that where they would eventually like to be if they can get enough referees, if they can get all four-inch table, four-inch pocket tables? Would that be the end game? Right. I'll... Unofficially, I'm just looking into my crystal ball. How I foresee it in the future. A U.S. Open just around the corner. Not be surprised at all if it is nine on the spot, four inch pockets, magic rack, and break box. Where I came up from that, with that information, I couldn't tell you, but that's what I would see a tournament like the US Open looking like. So, International well, Open kind of rules. Isn't that the same? Isn't that what they were doing like at the 2019 US Open? I thought I know for a fact they had the nine on the spot in the 2019 U.S. Open, and I thought they were using template racks, but maybe they had some refs racking. But um, but they let you break off the side rail. So anyway, yeah, it's just they've been trying to figure that out, right? It's not a new idea for sure. Listen, Emily Emily was out the back on one of the practice tables with Tyler uh, Steyer and Jason Shaw, and they were showing her all the different brakes and the brake speeds and how easy it is. And um, she got a lot of information off Jason, especially at that moment. And then the question was asked to Shane, you know, which one would you prefer? And of course, Shane's going well in the tournament. He's just played a quarterfinal match against Mike Bicebosch, where the nine's just going in the pocket every single time he hits the pack. Um, and he loves that break. He's got a cr crushing break. He's playing six ball the whole time. So in his, at that moment in time, he's feeling good about the one spot. But Emily just blankly asked him, which one's more difficult? And he says, nine in the spot. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. The okay, I remember what I, I remember when template racks came out, and I I was kind of like confused. I didn't really understand like why we'd want to do this. Uh, I still remember the first time I got one. I, I bought a magic rack, and I remember driving home from the pool hall, and I had a uh, a table, a nine foot table with worn cloth and tight pockets, and I slapped that magic rack on the table and racked nine ball, and I just like, well, let's try it out. And my first inning, I broke and ran five racks. And I was like, this is the stupidest game ever. Like, I just shot into the one. Everything opens up. You just shoot him in. And I'm like, I'm not Jason Shaw. But, like, this is just – it just was – I compared to all the nine ball I played through the 90s. Like, it was just so stupid easy. Um, and so I've always kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's a – 
for people, I think that what, what happens though is is that you've got the players, and I'm not like you know, but you've got like the players at the top that can take advantage of that and run so many tables. But then you've got the people watching, and when it, when it comes to people watching, I mean, almost you know, you go into a random pool hall, give a guy a pool cue, and give him a magic rack, template rack. He's not gonna. It's not gonna change him into Jason Shaw. So for most players, they could play one on the spot with a template rack and still play a game of pool where there's multiple innings and there's some battles back and forth. And no, but but when you get to the level of like some of these top players, they're just running out sets, and it's kind of it. It just it breaks once we once you get the skill to a certain level, it kind of breaks down a little bit. The game was too. Okay. The game was the game. The game is too easy. The game is too easy like that on slick cloth. You can make it four inches, four inch pockets. Everything's falling every, anyway. It's it's just the game is it's purely just too easy for that that size of a tournament and for that prestigious tournament. Um, putting so, this, if you, sorry, go ahead, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I guess what I'm getting back to is, let's say they were able to have, they were able to do away with magic rack, and put referees on every table that can rack using a wooden rack. Then. Where is where is the the rack the one or the nine on the spot? What would be? I mean, then could you go back to one on the spot and have to rack have to hit them hard? No nope. four inch pockets. No. No, because you saw it. They were they were hand racking in the semis from the quarters to the to the end, and Shane was still playing six ball. Still playing six ball under the the under hand racking, you know, because they oh, it's four and a quarter inch pockets too. But you, the thing is, you, the one thing you need to avoid, and it doesn't even matter if, if the nine ball is getting made on the break, if it's floating towards a pocket or to the bottom rail, you never have a twitchy nine ball getting played. The position on the nine becomes so easy, you never have that 50-yard line. You never have that tricky nine ball to finish it where the player could squeak it and the player could miss it. It's never there. So the nine has to be stuck there. So even when they're hand racking, they're still going to tap the table slightly to make sure that the balls behind the nine are stuck. As soon as you do that, the wing ball's flying in. So there's no... In, in order to make sure the nine ball stays in the center of the table, you're guaranteeing that the wing ball's going to be made. So you, you, the, the game is too easy. We won the spot. Go to nine on the spot, then they can they can use a magic rack and you still have to slam them. Then they don't need the players to... They don't need the players to... Uh, to rack or, or or sorry referees to rack they can continue to use the the magic rack right through the tournament no rule changes players are still going to have to slam the rack there's no there's yeah. never going to be a question about a soft break there's never yeah. going to be a question people the were other thing about during that, the sorry, sorry, referees yeah. weren't watching people's people were still soft, soft breaking during the tournament because the referees weren't watching them as soon as they got down they started to soft break to try and make a six pack to get back into it they can't do that with nine in the spot they have to slam it you know well yeah, you're 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 right. I was gonna say with the nine on the spot too, they have to cut break. They have to drag their cue ball to the side rail and back across, which means yeah. that 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 the skill on the break is much tougher. It's harder to hit that cut break than a straight break, and uh, and that you can come across and it's harder to control the cue ball. You can hit the bottom of the nine ball and end up on the foot rail. You can lose your cue ball cross side. You can run into balls and get kissed around a lot more easily. So and uh, you know the so I just I I don't know maybe I haven't hit the cut break with the nine on the spot as well. Like I know certain players have that break really, really well, especially the Europeans that have had those rules for longer. But uh, but would you agree that it's a harder break to control? It's a harder break to control, and especially if you bring the break box in and say you've got to go in a diamond with it as well. Then it becomes real hard. Then you've got to, you've got to hit it really, really hard and thin and control that cue ball. So there's going to be a lot of balls flying around. 
think a lot of players will just go straight on and hope to make a random ball or play the one in the centre with the nine ball, with the nine on the spot. If you're breaking from inside off the rail, sometimes just playing to make the one in the centre is the best chance of making a ball on the break. But then you're random on whether you get on the lowest ball, so there's no control on the one ball. So it just makes it a bit more random, and players are going to have to think about it a bit more instead of just playing a stop shot on the one and hope uh, and you're making balls all the time, you know. But Chris will tell you, Chris played more matches than I did. Yeah, where do you stand on this, Chris? Well, what I did see during the tournament, and I don't know how they can avoid this rather than other than having a ref on every table, I saw a couple of very well-known players using a soft cut break. And that is just, you know, you're talking about, you know, just drop-ins every time they came to the table. Um, it happened one match particular I watched. You know, the guy ran five out of the first six racks, probably in under. Come on, if you're going to be on the show, you got to start being ready to call people out. Let's hear who it was. Who was it? I'll call, I'll call one of them out, no problem. So the, pe- the, the person I saw do it was uh, Abdullah Al Youssef, I think. So I saw him play Elliot Sanderson. I think that's the same player. But Elliot got the ref over three times. The ref stood, watched the guy kind of. It was a. It looked like a cut break. You know, you don't just call me, call anybody out for for doing something wrong. But it, it is what it is. Um, so he definitely wasn't slamming them. Wasn't getting the cue ball to pop. Just getting the cue ball to track to the side rail, out into the middle of the table near the blue spot on the snooker table. And you know, nobody of you know nobody in the top fifty in the world is going to miss from there really with no balls tied up. So yeah. Not, not ideal. I don't know. I, I, uh, I mean, if there's one thing I want to push back on, on Jim, uh, stop it with that break from the box stuff. I mean, I, I can't, I can't stand that argument. Like you're, you're making, we're trying to expand the audience uh, of the people who are like going to be introduced to pool. And if you're going to start, I, you just can't put all these like three point rules and break from the box. Like the average. Said about three point rules. No, no, I, well, well, the break from the box is like those types of rules applied to a nine ball rack when breaking the balls. No one's going to want to watch nine ball if they don't understand it. And there's all these nuances to the rule. Well, right? what's, what's, to understand, what's to understand about that? I, pers- what is, I personally said what's the box? when I was when I was when I was asked about it, I said, if you want to play, if you want to play, um, if you want to play and, and make a rule on the break, just let everybody stick it on the on the spot. Everybody sticks a white in exactly the same spot, and then you've just got to slam it and hope that something goes in. Why not just do it that way? Does it matter where? Okay, you can. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I agree with a break box. What I'm saying is, in my little crystal ball, if that's the rules for the break at the U.S. Open, it would be good if they changed it up and we tried something different in one of them. But I think. One and yes, yeah, they've got to try stuff, and things will change over maybe the next two, three years. They'll change a little bit, but it would be a shame if they took away the possibility of Shane or FSR or Jason or someone breaking and running a full set live on Sky Sports or the Zone, whatever. Hundred yeah, percent. You know that yeah. that that's kind of like the nine data or the one four seven for us at the moment. So I think it would be. A shame if we lost the possibility of that happening altogether. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. I think, yeah, I think, I think maybe, I think personally, yes. Just go to nine on the spot, break from wherever you want. It's still a tough enough break. You still have to have knowledge to to execute it. And if you hit it, if you hit it slightly wrong, you are losing the cue ball. You know that cue ball is going to float in behind the rack. Um, so, I mean, maybe, but I see. I'm just going on little rumors that I might have heard and might not have heard while I was there. I think if we're going to do anything to the break, we got to make it more simple, though. 
I, I, I just can't it. stand Matchima. the idea. <laughs> yeah, what do you want to say? You're not doing anything to it, Maxima. I mean, I, I get that, but I, at the end of the day, like, if we're going to expand the sport, like, we can't, we can't keep streaming to the same. You know, there's only like, if you looked at the Facebook and the YouTube, there's only like six thousand people that were watching this. This is now it's it's only Facebook, but there's only six thousand people watching this. That's not that many people. We need to expand the sport. That was one thing that annoyed me a little bit being there. Chris will tell you as well. Chris, did you, Chris, when you're when you're standing outside the venue or anywhere, is there anything that gives you an idea that there's a big, big pool tournament going on? When you're standing uh, anywhere outside the venue, could you see uh, any anything that showed you there might be a pool table on here? No, I no, I couldn't, and that you know, I never really noticed that until you said it. But that's in contrast to Vegas in 2019, where they had all sorts of stuff all around. Banners everywhere. Even the Mandalay Bay, the Nothing. huge screen inside, they had Jason and Shane up on that, and you know, just loads of different bits like that. It was really good. And there was a lots, lots of people out in the street. There was a, there was like a, a, a food court kind of place just directly around the corner with a lot of bars, and that was full every single day for the entire week, completely full. I don't know what was going on. It was a UK Open, massive big pool tournament going on in the massive big box of a building that they're looking straight at, and they have no idea that there's anything going on in there. Yeah. Some of these people could have been floating in and having a look. There was all the people that are milling around that area. It was always busy outside. Chris said there was loads of people, lovely weather. Not one person had any idea that there was a massive pool tournament going on. That disappointed me a bit. There wasn't even a banner outside. They could have been round there handing leaflets out and saying entrance fee, half price, bring a friend, blah, blah, blah. Even if people just come in for 10 minutes and say, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's nothing really for me. But, you know, why is there nothing outside there to indicate? There's not even at the front door anything that says UK Open pool, nothing. Mm -hmm. That, for me, they dropped the ball a little bit there. They didn't leave any. They didn't have any promotion outside of the venue. Only when you got in there, you realized, oh, it's pool tables, yeah? Oh, okay. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. But I, I mean, I wasn't there. But um, I mean, I, I mean, now we're getting into the, now we're getting into the argument of like, well, there's, you always have those, you know, that one person that, um, you know, runs a big tournament in their local area, and they, they call up the local news, and the, the news comes down, and they, they cover it, and everyone's like, oh my god, that's genius. We should all do that, and then it turns into nobody actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. I mean, this is this is part of the the self inflicted. Maybe, you know, it's. I. I mean, to be honest, like, pool has been waiting for a savior for how long now? And now that Matchroom is along and actually doing things, and you know, actually growing the game, I think for the first time in fifteen years, we just sit around and nitpick them and talk about how, you know, everything that they do is just evil and dumb and stupid. And you know, we've all partaken in that at one point and another. But like, the idea is everything about pools like we're waiting for somebody to just come in and save us like we're like tomorrow we're going to have espn come through and they're going to do all of our marketing for us and we're not going to have to actually do any of the hard work ourselves and you know all these all these big tv companies are going to come and cover our events because espn is saving it it's just it, we got to just do the work i guess right yeah and, and you know you mentioned that it's like i always think about it like what are we comparing this to because if we're comparing this to uh, the dream that we have of you know a wish list of everything that we could ever want in a tournament that's been run and if we had an unlimited budget and uh, a team of 20 people planning this for years but if we compare it to nothing which is what we had in the uk last year for matchroom 
then it, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? It's a pretty, if you were to graph the number of matchroom professional events in the UK year over year, it went from nothing, nothing, nothing to pretty awesome. So it's like, that's a pretty good improvement. <laughs> it's just, we're all so perfectionistic and we're all so passionate and we all have all of these ideas. But like in the end, you know, we got to just say, hey, is it, which direction are we going? And things tend to be going pretty darn good. The one thing about matchroom that a lot of the rest of them haven't done before, the promoters and all these, they, they, they actually, they do genuinely, not believe it but they do genuinely listen to the players you know and they do listen to stuff that goes on facebook reasonable comments and, and criticisms they will listen to the like podcasts like this the, the, if, if we come up with a reasonable criticism that they, they, they do listen to it but they are in a situation where they have to be careful where you know what areas they they they, they put all their efforts in because they can't tackle everything i mean emily mentioned it in the interview it's very difficult for them to tackle everything in one go so every time they do a tournament they, they try and improve on certain little areas and you, you have to give them time to come up with something. I mean, if, if if things are still the same in like five years' time, I mean, Emily said it herself, she's only about 30% happy with the product that they're bringing out just now. And that says to me that she want, that, that she's looking to keep improving improvement, you know? She's not just saying, this is it, this is what it's going to be and, and we're happy with what we have. You know, she knows that there are things that need to be improved. The, the whole uh, uh, system that they use, the digipool and all that kind of thing for the players, that needs to be improved. That was quite difficult to understand. It was quite difficult to figure out. And, and we weren't really given any information beforehand on how this would work and how we would use it in order to know when our matches would be scheduled. So a lot of people were, you know, they were just, the tournament desk was inundated with people asking questions that could have been answered before the start. And it put pressure on Rob Spencer and Emily at the tournament desk because all these questions they didn't really need to be answered at that stage. They could have been answered in a simple email or a how-to uh, uh, instructional video or whatever before the whole thing started. They didn't have a players meeting as well, these kind of things. So they put a little bit of extra pressure on themselves in the first couple of days of the tournament that was a bit needless, I think. Um, but again, don't do it next time. Make as many mistakes as you want. You know, I've been training air traffic controllers for, for over 20 years, and I say to them all, make as many mistakes as you want. There's a million you can make. Don't start making the same ones over and over again. Because that's <laughs> there's something very yeah. disconcerting about an air traffic controller trainer who tells someone to make as yeah. many mistakes as they want. That's not what yeah, I want can. to hear. Is a frequent flyer, all right? Don't make. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm, yeah. Jim, don't, I'm about don't to go on a flight over and over again. Jim, I'm about to be on a flight in 24 hours to Vegas, and you're you're, you're telling me this. That's that's yeah. good. I feel good yeah. about this. We now, don't yeah. we don't we don't just give these kids live traffic to work with. We've got simulators and stuff like that, you know. So. Don't worry about it. We know what we're doing. But I say to them, make as many mistakes as you want. That's how you learn. Don't keep making the same ones because then you can't sure. do it. Simple. So, so. Uh, I, I guess shout out to uh, Christoph. We're going to be talking about you later, of course, because uh, we're going to be talking some World Cup of Pool action, which I think is going to be fun. So you are going to get some airtime later on. But until then, we're still talking about the UK Open. So um, the fact that Emily said, I'm assuming that you talked to Emily, said she was only 30% happy with that. Is that right, Jim? I think that was right, the number she came out with somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, the I mean, if there is if you can say whatever you want about Emily Frazier, like her work ethic is damn near second to none, and I don't think that she'll ever look at an event and be any higher than fifty percent, which is probably the reason they're you know driving forward so quickly. But there were there were some I guess hiccups with this event, and Jim, you had talked about a few of them. So let's start with the bad parts of this uh, event before we I guess highlight some of the better things that we liked. Oh, you're asking me to point out the bad parts? 
<laughs> well, you were there, right? So you. Well, I can start with Chris. I don't so care. So is like, Chris. I thought. Well, I thought Chris was on here to take some of the heat off me. Yeah. Me. Well, we know that we had scheduling issues, right? So I'll throw it out there. There were scheduling issues for the players. Now I can't take it from there because I wasn't one of them. So. <laughs> I think that? I'll take the heat for it. <laughs> I don't think the scheduling issues were too too bad. I mean, you knew when you you know you knew what order you were on, so you knew the table you were on, and then you knew you know what order you were on. So I might be third on table fifteen, and if the session starts at eleven a.m., then you know I'll probably be on about three o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. But it's not, you know, uh, it wasn't very painful because we're still in like a really comfortable environment. It's not like we're in a crappy hotel in the middle of nowhere and you know you're sitting around and you know you hate it and it's a different environment it wasn't i didn't think the scheduling was too too bad did you have to wait very long for any of your games jim i have a slightly different <laughs> story that, that, well this is listen. this is why i was trying to get uh, on you paper, <laughs> all right on, on paper what matching want is they want to be able to see okay the matches the day starts at nine o'clock in the morning you are you are scheduled already, and this this is fine on day one because nobody's played any matches, so nothing has started. So they can say we're starting at nine. We've made this lovely schedule, and here you are. There's there's going to be five matches on every table, roughly. I think some tables had six, maybe. And you look for your match number, and you see that your match number for me, I'm match number thir uh, not match number three on table nineteen. Great, no problem. I know there's two matches on before me. I can keep up to date with the score and pick and choose when I head to the venue. Brilliant, fantastic. Now, halfway through match number one, the tablets that are being used on the tables, they all go down. There's no updating of scores. People are taking their telephones out and using the telephone to do the scores. I have to do it during my match. So I'm sitting back, I'm sitting in my hotel and I'm looking at digital, nil-nil, half an hour later. Still nil-nil, they haven't started yet. What's going on here? You know, so nothing's getting updated. And then the, pad, the tablet goes back on again. Match finished. It's on match number two. Oh, geez. Okay, hold on a minute. Match two. <laughs> what happened there? So then you rush into the event. This is a hypothetical. I was already at the event doing interviews, but this is what I've heard from other people. Um, now, because it's the first round, all of a sudden, those matches that are getting finished nine nils and nine ones, you know, and they're going very, very quickly. So then match them are thinking, oh, hold on a minute. We've or, We've got the... A live uh, feed booked for six hours, we're running out of matches. Then they start looking for players who they feel would be, they want to get onto the, the live stream and they're pulling, they're trying to get to them before they start their matches to say, well, I want to move you to the live uh, stream table because, you know, we're ahead of schedule. And then all of a sudden players are just about to start their match. Oh, oh wait a minute. All right, put your cues together. Hurry up. We're going to move you over to this table. Then there's confusion there. And then the people who were flat said, oh, I'm match number five on table 12. But Skylar Woodward, who was number four, has now just been moved. There's a dead match. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm now next. How am I supposed to get there? Then they're looking for the players to say, well, if they're in the arena already, we can grab them and put them on the table. If not, how much time do we give them before they're late for the match? Because technically, there's one match less on this table. So that causes confusion and how long do we leave that table sitting for now before we start penalizing players Iraq? You know? Because some people some people it takes them twenty minutes to get from the hotel, some people it only takes three minutes, some people are in the venue just enjoying the pool and waiting for the match to start. And then you get on to day two and you have half the section, half the losers round get played on sorry, half the losers round gets played at the end of day one and the other half gets played at the start of day two. 
Now the scheduling, there was they put little bits of paper on the on the tournament there, so it said, you know, schedule will be made at three o'clock for five o'clock matches. Some players they don't know this is happening. They've not been used to the digi pool yet. They've looked and they've seen okay, some matches have been scheduled for five o'clock already, but maybe only. So they're looking at theirs and going, oh, I haven't been scheduled. That match has been scheduled for five o'clock. My match hasn't been scheduled. Therefore, I must be playing at nine o'clock. They leave. They go home. They've got to play nine o'clock in the morning. They're going to go and get something to eat and they're going to get an early night. But they haven't finished doing the schedule yet. They've only scheduled like 15 matches. So then it gets to the note up saying all matches from match number 20, from match number 225 plus, those matches will all be played at nine o'clock. Which match number do do I have? Match number two two five. So I'm standing at the tournament desk and I'm saying, right, just to confirm, it's two two five and above that play tomorrow, or is it above two two five? Because I don't want to be left to go. Yeah, and they say, well, no, you were two two five. It was above two two. So I just want confirmation. As I'm doing that, Emily says, well, we're actually got a couple of tables free. If you can find your opponent, then you can play now. I looked at that and said, so I'm supposed to walk around and find some random Swedish guy that I've never met before, but I want to play now. So I'm thinking, right, I'll go and try and find this guy. I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him. So I went back and I said, I said, look, I can't find a guy. Let's just say I'm playing at nine o'clock. But they were at that stage. I got the impression anyway at that stage they were looking for matches to get on the tables because people were missing because they didn't know how the app was working yet and the scheduling was... Let's just say, I mean, myself and Nate, we've done the VG10, and that was on a, a very lower, that's what you're talking about, 32 players. If you leave responsibility up to players themselves to look after themselves, then you're asking for trouble at a certain stage. And I think on paper, it all looked very good for what match and what to do. And perhaps when the players are used to this kind of system, that's fine. But they weren't it wasn't really explained to them well enough and perhaps it was just considered that it would be too it would be very easy for the players to know what they're doing fortunately as i was walking leaving walking out the venue the guy came up and tapped me in the show and said you're jim telford i went yeah he says we're supposed to play now i said no we're supposed to play at nine o'clock tomorrow morning he says i don't want to play at nine o'clock tomorrow morning i said okay come with me <laughs> we went back inside went to emily said well he's found me and she went okay i have a table for you go and play now is that really the way it should be a big tournament i'm not entirely sure but i think just you're organizing 256 players on that day and it's so tough it's just so tough to do and that that you know there's only two or three guys at the tournament desk that are trying to figure this out and do it players are just like oh what's going on i don't know uh, uh or maybe i'll just go home i think i must be playing tomorrow because i'm not playing now <sighs> nobody knew and and of course the tournament desk is just Tens and tens and tens of players all standing around the tournament there saying, when am I supposed to play? I don't know. What, what's this? And then they say, look on the DigiPool. What is DigiPool? And they don't even know the, 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 this, where the site is to find the bracket and everything. They go, what, DigiPool? What is DigiPool? So says, yeah, this site, never seen it before. You don't use QScore? No, we don't use QScore. So like, what? <laughs> Completely unprepared. So, so I, I guess one... I, I'm looking at this, and uh, you know Emily chimes in, and I, I, I think love what that she said. said the story is long-winded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, I, to be honest, I think I think what I think what uh, what throws the wrench into it is it's it's very, it's it's good, right? I mean, they're giving us more content. The people at home, the people who can't be there, uh, by throwing an extra match up on the stream, and I I think that that's really honestly, I mean, why wouldn't we want to watch more pool at home? Absolutely. So I think the Absolutely. idea. Yeah. So I think maybe. I mean, a potential solution for the future 
is to have, you know, maybe a, um, you know, when you're scheduling out these matches too deep, have absolute dead nuts, fixed scheduling, unless you don't, right? So like you could, you could, you could throw like a little wild card on there and the little wild card means basically this is subject to change. So, you know, if you have Shane Van Boning playing against, I don't know, Jim Telford, uh, and they know Shot that it's going fired. to be in the second. They know that it's going to be in the second match or later on in the day, like this situation. You could put a little asterisk on there, a wild card on there, and saying like, "This is where you're playing your table. You're playing on table twelve, unless something opens up over here, and then you have a contingency plan for anything that you know changes. And these are the only matches that can change, and the rest of these are absolutely fixed, no matter what." Yeah, I, I think mean, I just submitted that on, on Saturday, maybe. They had an asterisk next to one of the games. I think it was actually Shane. So they may, you know, and they may have moved that one. But, um, yeah. you know, trying to organize 256. It's very tough. You heard. Composers, yeah, yeah. adults who, you know, you see some pretty stupid things and you hear some daft, crazy mm-hmm. things at these tournaments, you know. Uh, well, not easy. I think one I of think, the I most mean, dangerous things is, is putting any of the responsibility into the hands of the players. Sure. You know, that's, that's something that you, you want to avoid that. that at all costs. But, uh, and it's really interesting that we're talking about all this because I, I just, and I'm not trying to plug the magazine or anything, but I just finished writing an editorial for this next issue. And, and a lot of it was on, <laughs> the, the pieces on, you know, the types of things that we find to talk about and criticize now are so much smaller and nuanced than what we used to have to argue about, right? So we're mm-hmm. talking about, we're getting into this scheduling in the first and second round of a 256 player tournament. I mean, there's always gonna be things, but as these nitpicky things get smaller and smaller, to me, that's that's progress on the bigger scale of how these tournaments are. So it comes back to, you know, and you mentioned it early on, Jim. I mean, they're doing bigger things, bigger events, everything, that they do now, and, and the same with Predator, every time you're doing it, they're trying to make it bigger and grander, so they're adding new things. You add new things, there's going to be hiccups. You have hiccups, you, you just fix them, you know, and you and you move on. You know, that, that just was, I think that what we're talking about are are pretty minor things in the scope of things. Well, um, to the to that, if you don't mind, Mike, if, if you don't mind me, because this is the dumbest thing I've heard, and the dumbest thing that you could possibly argue about is a pink uh, or a purple or orange five. Who cares? But these are the things we're whining about now. Like the only people that care about this are like these these old traditionalists. Who like, cares Don't about it? It was one of his twenty questions. <laughs> yeah, but so it, so is pineapple. You can have I mean, mind. come on. You well, Not the point me, is, is me, you can me. have a preference on this. The point that you're like you're you're putting your flag in the ground and you're saying this is where I stand. I need an orange five ball and like that's what you're like that's what you're like dividing like the game on. It's the dumbest thing in the world. But that's I mean that's where we're at now. The, we're arguing these stupid things that really honestly mean nothing. It's your preference for a color over another color. It's nothing. Well, that, it's and then what I'm saying is that means that the bigger issues are being handled. Exactly. So all you have exactly. to bitch about are these small things, and that's where we want to be. And to me, all these small things are going to get taken care of. Jim, you talked about it before. Make mistakes. Don't make them twice. Exactly. I mean, so, listen, Ma- 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 Maxim is established as the number one in a one-table setup venue and a production. The number one. Nobody comes anywhere close. They went to the two tables and three tables. They've kept that standard for those venues. But now they're at, now they're now they're going out there into the two five six. And this is only the second tournament they've done. 
for us yeah. to expect everything to be perfect is just stupid. It's not going to happen. And like I said, I they do listen. They do, they do learn from the things. And like Mike said, I think one of the things that, 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 that they could learn from from this one is don't give their players all that responsibility. You know, make it very simple for the players and say, I expect you to be here at 11 o'clock at that table. Not, you know, hang around and wait because the players are not good at that. Or not all 256, obviously, but there's, there is going to be a group of players and some kind of players and it's going to cause you more work herding these guys and looking after these guys. And um, I'm not, it's not, not like I'm bashing uh, match them. And of course they move tables because they want to use up all the, the, the time that they have uh, for, for sure. Them. I mean, we, if, again, if we want to watch matches dead. Nobody wants you want to watch matches. Table to yeah. TV on it. But it's last minute, it's last minute things that they're having to do, which it's not their fault. It just happens like that. Oh, we're, we're behind schedule. Who have we got out there? And they're sort of just sort of putting, not putting out fires, but trying to organize things very, very quickly. And it's difficult to do. And of course, these things happen. But I mean, the stuff that went well far out, outweighs the stuff that that, that, that that perhaps didn't go well and that, that needs to be improved. Um, I know, I think, I mean, I heard that, that they were taking a lot of feedback on the Digi app. And I think they were even, it was even being improved as the tournament was going on. There was different ways you could, you could search for your own name. And they really are investing in this app to make it something that is really, really usable for a, for a big 256 tournament. And they're doing it at the time as well. So, I mean, they are improving stuff. And, um, but yeah, you, you asked me what, what was the major, for me, the major issue. And, and, and that would be it. I would also like to see them go to one table quicker in the tournament. Uh, so that the fans feel more relaxed about creating an atmosphere without disturbing anybody else. Um, I don't think they needed to be on three tournaments for the quarterfinals for eight. I think they can do that in two tournaments if they get the scheduling correct on the television. Um, and that was the only thing. There was there was quite a lot of fans in there. It was nice to see that many people sitting watching, but everybody felt as if they had to dumb it or, or keep the volume down a little bit because there's another table playing just over there and. I think for the TV, it comes a lot, a lot nicer across if, if you can really hear the atmosphere. And um, so I'd like to see them come down to the one table a little bit quicker than, uh, than, than they did, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I think, I think if you could do natural segregation in a room like that, too. Right. So also, could, also, yes. You, you yeah. could, yeah, you could. I mean, when you're tearing down, they had um, how many tables was there? 24. 24 tables. I mean, when you're tearing down, you know, obviously they're not tearing them all down after the finals is played, right? You're tearing them down overnight in between days when you don't need them anymore. Or I'm assuming that's the case, right? That's what they, they did. Left them, they left them all up. We were, I think they left them all up. We were able to go and practice. No. Even, I think Friday was the last day I played. So they just moved, you know, moved it closer in. In fact, I played a game on Wednesday night. We had to move tables. So the, my opponent spotted a roll on the table. So, you know, someone from the tournament tournament came over. I think Emily came over. They had a look at the role. They said, thanks for letting us know. We won't use this table tomorrow. Moved us to a different table. And then when we went back the next day, kind of the barriers moved in. So people could only go so far down the room. And then beyond that barrier, that's the practice tables for all the players to, sure. to kind of go in and see the thing out of the way. On, on, on Saturday and Sunday, they'd removed the majority of the tables. They had six practice tables at the back on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and the rest yeah, so that, moved. So that would... You could, I mean, in the in the future, you could naturally segregate the room out to where instead of you know the six practice tables, you could have you know your second table being played on that too, and then and then the atmosphere doesn't matter so much when you know your cheering is on two sides of the room, right? For, I mean, for me, just for me, that, for me, that would be something. I mean, I, again, there are other things that are more of a priority, but for for me, that would be something sure. that I would that I would look at in the future. 
to make sure that people who are watching one table can react properly to that table without worrying about what's going on on another table. Um, and one of the one of the snooker guys too mentioned that too. Uh, you know, he was he was kind of saying like uh, the atmosphere is completely different from snooker. Like he, he was kind of taken back when he did something good and people started clapping for him and like just you know just a, a normal kind of way. And he was he was taken back by that a little bit. But he said he really liked that atmosphere and he he was enjoying it. So. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that it has to be that case, um, right? I mean, are are we trying to be snooker where we're you know we're being very respectful and as quiet as you can? Are we are we being nine ball pool where you know as a player if you just get used to the the different stimuli? I mean, most of the time these players are playing and in practice they're practicing in you know super loud clubs or you know pool rooms that have music blaring on. You have drunk people walking all the way around you. I mean, do we need to have it in that? kind of sense and i mean that's a real question let's let's open that up i mean what do you guys think there was music being played the whole time so i don't see what difference it makes if some people are clapping and cheering yeah demetrius what you got any thoughts yeah i mean i think that um i think that if you were going to look at what the flagship of matchroom production is it's the moscone cup so what what makes the Moscone Cup exciting is audience engagement and audience energy. Um, you know, when you're watching two, you know, like people complain, you know, some people complain like, oh, you know, the 80s, we had Keith McCready and all these guys that had their antics and there was more personality. The players are so stoic now. Yeah, but it's not the players that need to be the entertainers. If if they, if, if we could bring the energy into the room with the, with the players watching. So I think one of the big things, uh, you know, uh, I think, was it Mike that you'd mentioned, uh, you know, filling up the stands and things like this. And I know I've been to the players meeting where Emily's really encouraged the players like, hey, this is roll the sport, you know, so the players have a responsibility, too, which is when you're not playing your matches, watch matches, stick around. You know, you can mingle with other people and, you know, spread the word of the game, but you could also bring some of that energy into the room. So anyway, the, the bottom line is, yes, I think that the goal should be to try to fill the stands with people that are you know, gasping when there's a miss and applauding wildly when there's a good shot and bringing the tension into the room. I think that that's a big, big part of the production. Penozo? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, we want we want a lot of people in there. We want people screaming and cheering. We want, it, you know, the, the players to be more engaged in their matches and, you know, knowing that people are watching them and following them and rooting for them or rooting against them or whatever the case is. So, yeah, of course, we want, you know, we're, we're nine ball fans. The game lends itself to smash bang, whether it's the fans or the balls or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, of course. Two nine combo. <laughs> well, Chris, Emily, Emily, you know, go Chris. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, just the more noise, the better. It's just nothing worse than being in summer that's deadly silent. It'd be great. Something else that would be great is if, um, there was a way for the people who are walking around all the different tables and things to know when a table goes hill hill, get mm. people walking over there. Everybody rushes around it, you know, watches the end of that game. Another one goes hill hill, other side of the arena. Everybody rushes over there. You know, a way of a way of making that happen would be good. Yeah, you know, I I've got I got a comment on that. So <laughs> I, I was my... literally going to say that, Pinoza. I was literally going to say that the blue Flashing light special. Blue light. Here we yeah, go. We got the blue light <laughs> special on table six. My very first U.S. Open was Perfect. in 2005, and I remember I played. Uh, it was to get in the money. I was on the loser side, and I was playing Danny Basovich back when Danny Kid Delicious, you know. Anyway, uh, he had me down five zero, and I clawed my way there. I was down ten seven, and I got it back to ten ten. 
And all of a sudden, I'm nervous. You know, my first U.S. Open, right? My first pro tournament. I'm, I'm yelling. I'm playing this known player, and it goes hill, hill. And all of a sudden, Scott Smith was the tournament director, and he gets on the mic and he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to call everyone's attention to table 16. We've got Demetrius Gelatis versus Danny Kid Delicious Basovich. Hill, hill, losers action match. Someone's going home." And all of a sudden, everyone in the room just looks over, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Anyway, it's <laughs> some things you never forget. So. Yeah, no, that's... Emily wants the atmosphere. Um, spoke to her about it. Well, I could tell you a situation that happened. We were, we were sitting, and Dave Dockay was playing on one of the side tables beside the, the main table. And um, he's finished his break. He's run a great rack or whatever. The match is quite exciting. So we started out, oh, David, okay. Maybe just with maybe like five or six, seven of us. And um, John Lehman came over and told us to be quiet. Says, there's other matches going on, be quiet. And we're like, oh, okay then, sorry. Emily was sitting two seats away from us. And we said, well, you just told to be quiet. We said, yeah. She said, oh, a bit of a shame, want a little bit of an atmosphere. I said, so can we do it again? And she went, yeah, yeah go for it. Did it again. Uh, we, but we waited until the other table, the, the other main table, not the back table, you can't see them properly. The other main table had stopped playing. So we thought, well, you know, show a bit of respect, wait until they've done it. So they, the, both tables were getting racked. Did it again. The tournament director, Rob Spencer, comes running out and, and basically has a scream at us and says, the next time you do it, you'll be doing it out in the parking lot. We're like, ah, what, did, what do Matchroom want us to do? You know, I mean, we're there and we want, we want to, of course, it's not going to be a Moscone Cup. You can't get a Moscone Cup atmosphere, but you want, you know, the players enjoy it. David was laughing and, and, and joking and stuff like that and enjoying it. They don't like, like Chris said, players don't like, we don't like playing in silence. It's just not right, you know, and you don't obviously you don't want silence and then just somebody shouting something that's distracting. But like Alex Pagan when he's drunk. <laughs> yeah, but well, something like that, you know. And and but, so I, I'm 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 still not entirely sure what. Well, that's why I think what, what they're looking under, from from a crowd. They all need to get on the from. same page about what they want. You know, they need well, to be, to be on the same page too. I mean, John Lehman should know what Emily wants, and you know, they should all be on the same well, page as well. I think I, they're. I I think to be honest with you, I think it's I think it's deeper than that. I don't I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's like a, this is the way that it's going to be. Like I think they're trying to kind of work through it themselves and try to find out exactly what they're trying to be in these types of multi-table situations. I mean, this is the only. I mean, if you remove the Premier League pool, which is you know, uh, two tables, it's not. It, it is a multi-table event but not really right um this is only i think the only third multi-table tournament that they've done right the u.s open twice and then now, now the uk open i mean they're probably trying to find out they're probably trying to wade through what they want their atmosphere to feel like i mean world championships, championships, well. World championships as well oh in the world in the world champion yeah. in the world of yeah, course so, of course no they, they uh, know I, they I mean i'm i well I, I i don't know because rob and emily clearly aren't on the same page if he's coming over and telling them to knock it off and Emily's saying, go ahead. I mean, I mean I'm sure they're probably right. trying to find out what their atmosphere is in the building and you know, what works best for the players, what works best for the fans, what works best for the atmosphere. I'm sure everything is kind of hit and miss and you know, uh, what's okay to one person might not be to the next person. And so Chris mentioned know. the, uh, Chris mentioned the 10, 10, you know, Hill Hill matches and drawing, you know, trying getting attention to him, things like that. Was I the only one that almost jumped out the window when when Filler and Alexa went 10-10 and they wouldn't leave the other table with the camera? They uh, kept focusing yeah. on the, the David Alcady, I think it was Mario He match. Yeah, I'm I thinking, heard about that. Are yeah. you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? Yeah. This you've got Josh Fillers ten to ten. The other guy's breaking, and you won't you won't put these guys on ice for three minutes and and show the other the other match. That one, that one, I almost jumped out the window. That one was just I couldn't believe it. Well, I, I will I will say this as, as far as um, I mean, we still have one more negative I think that we have to bring up. But um, my favorite part about the event was their ability to capture the other tables in what felt like a better flow. Yeah, so for sure. They, they did go through other tables and um, not only with the cameras, but like through updates. And I personally, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I got four monitors surrounding me right here. So I, I have, you know, YouTube on this one. I got um, the Facebook on this one. I got a digital pool over here on this one. And I actually have the ability to pull all these things up and look at them all at the same exact time. But with that being said, like I like the idea that I can get some updates from the commentators from time to time without having to look. I, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts about it, whether it's via video while they're doing dead time racking or whether it's, you know, just Phil for the one good thing that I felt like he did during this event, um, you know, giving updates on the tables. Yeah. I don't yeah, I mean, you know, you can do There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can do the running running that's what i would know, like to see i'd like to see that ticker scoreboard that ticker, ticker underneath i mean that's 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 you know pretty simple stuff but um you know again it's all it's all baby steps you know you got you're drinking out of a fire hose trying to get all this kind of stuff done there's gonna be a lot of those little things that are gonna get missed and you'll catch them later you'll can't believe you didn't think about this or whatever the case is so again i got no problem with the uh the event i thought it was fantastic as far as I, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if they were, you know, they 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 have to concentrate on small or certain things every single time. And I think the the two main things for me is the, the the game was too easy. I think a lot of the players said that, um, and perhaps a better explanation to all the players on on how to use the the, the digi pool. Once they've done that, I think they've solved any real issues that they had there. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that. It was a step in the right direction. I really enjoyed playing in Ben. I really enjoyed being there. Um, the arena was great. That that arena itself would be an awesome arena for the Moscone Cup because they can build the arena around the table. Then you have the higher seats. Chris will tell you the higher seats right around the back of the arena. They could expand. Cool. They could expand the seating in, the, in there to. They could probably double up on what they get at the moment at the Alley Pally, and uh, it's a better location as well. Roundabout when you go, when you go out of the arena for. For the for for, for uh, accessibility and stuff like that, I really I I, I thought the I thought the copper box was really really nice. Um, it looked great. It, was good it looked great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought it was a good choice. I think that's one for them, definitely for more tournaments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess the only thing uh, else that I should bring up as far as negatives, um, and I don't I, I mean I honestly don't think this was a negative, but it had to be done on uh, Facebook the entire time instead of the zone. I don't know. Does anybody know what happened there? I I honestly have no idea. Obviously, some kind of you know uh, miscommunication glitch, something between DAZN and and Matchroom because you know uh, uh, it was expected to be on DAZN. I I don't I can't believe Matchroom dropped the ball on that one because that's their partner. So if Matchroom just didn't have it set into their programming or whatever the case is, but it ended up being on Facebook, so it was free. And then naturally, well, the people who had paid for DAZN, but then the people who paid for DAZN bitched that they had paid and they considered it a scam and they were, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, 
yeah, no, it was, who knows what happened there, but uh, I'm sure that's something to be addressed in the future too, because the zones just, you know, they're a big partner. I mean, they, they put a lot of money into Matchroom, so, um, yeah, I would think that it was on the zone. Well, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I, I have no idea why it wasn't on the zone. I mean, I if Emily, if you're still in here and it's it's something that's, you know, public knowledge and you want to mention it in the comments, I, I mean, I I think I'd like to know, but I, the people that uh, whine about this stuff, it's like, I mean, the way I look at it is like, if you could, if you were told that you could make pool better by giving $20 to the zone, whether, whether or not like you, you got any content out of it. I want to meet that person, that fan, that the person who calls themselves a fan of this game. I want to meet that person that says, I wouldn't give $20 to something to try to help grow a sport that you supposedly like, like, I want to meet that person. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, like, sure, like you're paying $20, you expect a service for it. Sure. I, I get that. I, I like, if I go to, if I go to a, a restaurant and I order a meal and I pay for it, I want it. I want that meal. Right. I, I understand the idea of that. But if you look at it as like, just in a sense of like, it's especially during COVID, like I, I gave money to some of my favorite restaurants for no reason. Like I'll buy gifts or I'll buy gift cards or I'll buy whatever. Like I just wanted to give them money so that they could be supported throughout, you know, because I want the benefit of having that. Right. And I look at like the zone is very similar to that. Like if I don't get it, like I got the, I got the product anyways. Right. And sure. I had to pay for it and others didn't, but the point is, is like, I don't care. I just, I just want to see pool grow. And I, and I know that this is a good way of doing that and supporting it. So I just don't understand the type of person who's going to like look at it and be like, no, this so, sucks. The, the one thing I'll say about this is that, uh, and I, and this has to do with, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know this stuff. Is the zone different than Dazen? Uh, is that hey, okay? It's the same so, thing. So, Dazen, the zone is the proper pronunciation of it. People just call okay. it Dazen. Okay, so the zone. So the only thing I'd say is I didn't know all the options. Okay, so I've I thought that the old is the only option to watch a subscription service where it's like a you know a, you have to subscribe or can you pay per pay per view like a dollar per day. I guess I didn't know because here's the only reason I ask is this. I I want to support the streams. I want to watch, first of all, and I also want to pay to watch. Uh, the only thing is I'm very personally, just as not about like a general, I'm not coaching other people, but personally, I really, really have a strong resistance to subscription services where I'm going to put in information. They're going to auto bill me unless I cancel. Uh, there's a lot of places that do that. And I really... If you just subscribe, 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 pretty soon you got a dozen services in your life. You stop using half of them, forget to subscribe. Five years later, you check back and you've spent $1,000 on something you don't use anymore and you feel violated. I have a personal thing where I like to pay manually per view. Of, if I want to buy something, I want to spend the money, but I don't want to be committing myself and having to manage all this auto bill. So that's the it's, only thing that stops me from doing auto subscriptions. The zone is a monthly, it's a monthly or you can buy it annually and you get their channel for the entire month. So, so you don't have to give them any information. You can go online and buy a zone gift card like you do a gift card anyplace else and plug in for that month and get in and get out. So that's it. you know that's it. you know it's 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 a pretty simple process. So as long as I yeah, yeah, I think that's really, really good because I think that that I was confused about and that's not has nothing to do, I don't think that has anything to do with Matchroom. That has to do with my understanding of the zone payment options. So as long as people know that you don't have to subscribe, you can buy the events you want to watch, uh, then yeah, I think everybody needs to, to pay and watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I I get the idea that like some people are just upset that they had to pay twenty dollars and other people got it for free, but I, I just, I, 
if, if, if you told that, that same person who think, who at least thinks that they like pool and they want to see the, the benefit of pool grow. And you said, all right, well, your $20 is going to go towards this still, even though you don't have to pay for it. Like I want to meet that person who thinks they like pool and thinks they want to see the, the future of it grow and will not uh, throw a $20 bill at it to make it grow. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's different. If, it's different if money is tight. Like I, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like you should give your last penny to, to disown or match room to grow the sport. But like, if you have the $20 and you're the same person that'll go to the bar and buy seven drinks every Friday night with your buddies and you're, you're knitting about $20. I mean, I just, I, it just falls on deaf ears to me. I now, I think a, a good point was brought up also. Um, and this is the reason why I've never been a fan of pay-per-view and I never will be pay-per-view does not introduce people to the sport. Like nobody, nobody's sitting at home as, you know, Johnny, Johnny 13 year old, who's never even heard of pool and is going to pay $20 to the zone to watch the U S open or the UK open. I mean, to get introduced to the game, you have to be able to see, it. you have to be exposed to it. And no one's going to spend money to do that now. Well, could they ever, oh. could, could they ever like have the first couple rounds to be free and push it out to as many people as they can do lots of interviews to create story drama, get people emotionally engaged and say, okay, now the, you know, the final 16 on out is pay-per-view. And if you want to finish watching this event that you're hooked on, now you get to pay. I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm not a promoter, but well, that's, that's, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, what's exactly the what you did? You could you, you could watch YouTube and Facebook for the first four days, and then if you wanted to watch Saturday and Sunday, you have to get the zone. That's what I. That's what, yeah. That's that's, 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 that's that's the perfect way to do it. You know, have you got involved in this? Have you been watching it? Do you want to know who wins it right now? You got to pay for the rest of it. We'll give you enough for free. Yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think they've done that fine. I, I, think I don't know. Perfectly. I would say perfect way of doing it. The perfect way of doing Why it not? is giving Why it all for free, right? <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, yeah, but then you've got to get yourself on. You've then you've got to get yourself onto terrestrial television, and do that, or sure. you stick on face, or you stay on Facebook and YouTube, which is well, not well, a professional well, production. Well, now we're getting into a bigger, you know, the bigger issue of like, do you want long-term success or do you want short-term success? Because the way that you're talking is much better for short-term success, but it's going to be much less likely to build the clientele long-term. Where if you if you get the clientele built up and you get people introduced to the game that actually want to support it, theoretically in the in the future, ESPN's gonna be like, oh, all right, the UK Open is streaming on Facebook and they have fifty thousand people watching it right now. Like so my understanding, you, you, my, my my understanding of something like the zone is is the same as Sky Sports, basically. If you buy the zone, you can watch the boxing, you can watch the racing, you can watch it. So you've got all these Tucker. sports fans who are, yeah, you've got all these sport fans who already have the zone and now they can watch pool. So it's not yes. that everybody that's it's not that everybody that's watched the pool has got the zone to watch pool. They've all got the pool. They've all got the zone because they like the boxing, they like the the the, the football, they like whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh, now I can watch pool. I've already yeah, paid no, for it. I'll get yeah. so so. It's already there. It's not that people have to yeah. pay it to see it for the first time. It's they've well, already got. The, this, they've already got the growing for other sports. sports. Exactly. I mean, they're growing this. it anyway. Okay, so do you have the zone? You don't need it, right? You have sports. I, I am a, I am able let, let's just say I am able to watch the the pool on every single available uh, channel that, throughout the world that Matchroom are sending out on. I can choose basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right well, or I wrong. Mean, I, right I, or wrong, I can basically sure. choose. I have a yes. I have a VPN too that I can use that I can watch it for free too. But I, I choose to I choose to pay for the zone because I because I choose to support Matchroom. Like at the end of the day, like I choose to pay my twenty bucks when I don't have to because I could just go onto my VPN and watch it from anywhere in the world. I choose to pay the $20 because I want to support Matchroom. Now, with that being said, 
to your point there, sure, I paid for the zone and now I can watch all this boxing. That is not, I've never watched a single boxing match using the zone. I, I bought it for pool. Now I've watched some snooker, so that's 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 kind of to your point. But I'm interested yeah. in Q sports. At, at, at the end of the day, I'm interested in Q sports. I'm not going to watch MMA. I'm not going to watch racing. I'm not going to watch boxing because I'm not interested in that. Now I've I've been exposed to those things because those things are on TV more mainstream than pool is. So I've been exposed to boxing, and I realize I don't really care about boxing. I've seen racing. I'm not interested in racing. Um, if I had never been exposed to that, so I, I mean, I don't even know, uh, let me pull up the zone and let's see what some of the, the, the weirder sports are and let's see if there's something. No, that I, I mean, there's, there's, there's Nate, the sunshine on my phone, but there's Nate, is it Nate Johnson saying, no, Jim, I have the zone for pool only. Yeah. Okay. You have the zone for pool only, but that's not my point. My point is that you will still create new pool viewers because they already have a zone subscription for other sports. You know, to well, say that to say that every to say that every new viewer has had to get a subscription for the zone is not true. There's still enough. Sure. The zone have got millions of people are subscribed to the zone. You do not know that. There's got. There's no there's way you know some, that. What? There's a million people subscribed to the zone, right? There's a million and twenty-five. I might be closer. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how many, but there's lots of people that are subscribed to the zone. I'm sure some of them have watched the pool. They must have done. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I, I don't know. Some people just watch. I, some people are just sports junkies, and they'll buy something just because they want to watch lots of different sports. You know, Jim is just cheap and doesn't pay for Paul to grow. <laughs> and that's why it's like people like him. Oh, well, Steve, okay. that, I, 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 my my phone's in the. In, oh, it's Stephen Fair. Yeah, I'm not going to answer. I, I think oh, that I when it comes that. when it comes to playing the event, look, we're all pool players. So when it comes to like what was our experience playing, that's one thing. When it comes to how do we feel that this tournament ran as a player experience compared to other tournaments, we have some experience there. When it comes to how Mashroom could run events, you know, some of us have offered suggestions, but when it gets into how to market the sport and how to grow across channels and how to set it up, yeah, whether no it's idea. pay per view or like we're kind of, I'm sorry, man, I, I feel like we're all kind of talking out our rears. I feel like Mashroom is an international production company that has a lot more experience and insight and, and education. And, and I mean, I feel like we're a bunch of 500 Fargo rates when it comes to marketing, talking to Mashroom, who's like an 800, and we're like trying to give advice. And it's like, hey, I just, I, we can have ideas and suggestions, but I, I kind of feel like we're out of, we've kind of, we've Kind of crossed. We've got to cross into. We got to know what when we're we've gone too far here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Honestly, I think that's true. All right. Well, uh, I guess let's talk about the absolute dead positives of it. Um, I, I think the that venue. Think we're, are we going to talk about the actual pool playing at some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's. All right. Fair. Let's just go into let's that. Let's talk about Telford's second round win. Yeah, Telford, tell us about it. Yeah, what was your what was your TPA on that one? Four hundred. We lost him. Yeah, Jim's all uh, wow. Jim's all quiet now. Things are getting better and better here. Yeah, hey, right, we'll just ignore oh, Jim a, then. Oh, I'm a, hello. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're good. All right. Yeah, I won my second. I won my second match nine one. I played. I missed one ball. I played all right. Yeah. I played you. okay. I don't know what TAPA was, but yeah, just for Stephen Fair, I, you're right. I didn't, I didn't uh, take the twenty dollars the zone because I was there at the venue, putting my time and effort into the sport. So uh, you can go do one. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's actually get into the finals um, or the the actual event. Uh, Joshua Filler. All right, take your little circle, uh, Jim. Go on. Be happy. 
I, yeah, well, okay, I see it. There's four guys that are going to win these events, in my opinion. It's, that's it, and they keep winning them. So, two of them are in the semi-finals again. So, um, who, who are your four? Remind us, Jim. Shane, Villa, Jason Shaw, and Albin Ocean. <laughs> Albin Ocean. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. I I don't see anybody other than I mean Sanchez did really really I mean I want to talk about so I, I mean we can talk about the guys that won it. I think like I think how about I think playing, FSR how about had the play, best tournament. How about playing two hundred and fifty six field and playing the maximum maximum amount of matches you could possibly play, and almost winning it. You know he went out in round one. He was six nil down rules, in yeah. losers round one. Six nil down in losers round one. And he comes back and gets the final. Brilliant performance. What a player. What a yeah. player. I would love to see. I think I I think now from what I saw of him, I watched quite a lot of his pool. He's the one guy. He's the one guy that would be a rookie for me on the Moscone Cup. He stands out above the rest of them, and he's the guy I'd be more than happy to to, to have him in the team. I think. Yeah, I I, I, yeah. I, I watched him uh, win Derby too, and uh, just watching the finals, I was he had. There's a lot of shots that um, I, and I think Jeremy Jones commented on it too. I was remembering I was watching the finals, and I heard Jeremy say the same thing I was thinking, which is. There's there's a lot of shots that can be struck successfully in different styles. There's some shots where you can kind of cinch the ball with a core of a tentative shot. And then there's certain but you can also shoot the same shot, but just kind of like kind of go go all in on it a little bit. And he and, and there's certain things where when people are uncomfortable and nervous and people are trying to like, you know, they play it one way, but when they're just like, you know, he he just seemed like he was playing the shots in a way that said, you know, I'm ready to deliver. I'm here to play. And uh, he at full speed ahead, foot on the gas, you know, here and now. Yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, laughed him off, but played exceptionally well. And, and there was some – so I, I, I'm not thinking of a specific example. I'm probably not capturing it that well. I'll just say that the way that he – the way that he shot the shots he shot was – it was pretty inspiring. He's fun to watch. Yeah, I think he had the. I I mean, I I understand that Josh won this tournament, but I think Francisco Sanchez Ruiz had had the best tournament of anybody in that field. I mean, he was up seven five against Josh, and he won like 14, 15 matches, sixteen matches, something like that after losing. And you got to remember, like he lost his first match, and then he was down. I I want to say he was down six to two in his second match. He was six nothing. Six, six nothing. to nothing. Well, so then he was also down 6-2. Sweet. <laughs> but he's down 6-0 in his second match. You know, he's about to go 2-0 and out from the tournament and goes on and, you know, makes it makes it to the finals and has a 7-5 lead in the finals. I mean, that's, then has that's to incredible. Sit there, then has to sit there after and watch Josh run a perfectly five. hitting a jump shot on a 1 and turns mm. around at 7-7, seven, seven, watches Josh crap in a shot and a, a jump shot that he missed by about four yeah. inches and then run five yeah, and out from there. <laughs> that's about as, that's about as cold a roll as you get right there. But, you know, it, uh, he, was, it, he had a great tournament. It is. And, and Josh got two big roles, one where he almost scratched on a safety and corner hooked the guy. But I'll tell you, the other thing though, is, is that I, at one point he might've been down, you know, filler might've been down a rack and he had come with a good shot and made a good run out. And he stuck the break perfect and got kissed to the side at a at a spot where then Sanchez. I mean, the rolls come and go, and of course everyone's gonna you know you're not gonna play a set of nine ball without getting a roll or getting a bad roll or a good roll. I think it's I think Jeremy said it best. He said it's it's about what you do with it. Lots of people slopping a ball. Some people slopping a ball and don't run out. Some people slopping a ball and get out and then break and lose the cue ball. Some people slopping a ball and then run a five pack in the finals of a major. So I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> There's your difference between Josh winning and and being out of the tournament because he got lucky on a 
a bumped in ball like that and ran a five back and ran out. And in his final against Alexa, Alexa crapped into one ball and then immediately missed the two and he'll right. Hit. Uh, so yeah, and that's that's the difference between a guy who's going to win a tournament and a guy who's not going to. But Josh played, Josh played so well; it was just, it was ridiculous. Just that out, the the out that Josh that, that Josh left himself to win that Hill Hill match against Alex. Oh, it was amazing! The, the, but the balls, that he, the balls that he was comfortable leaving himself. This, the the position from the seven to the nine. Yeah. He just wanted to be anywhere on that right-hand side of the table, and he fancied himself to make the nine. And the way he played the nine, he dragged it in with a bunch of right-hand side around two rails. To play it like that, that's not the easiest way to pot that ball. But he's just, he's gone down there. He's, it's almost like in his head, they always say that play position when you're playing the nine. It's a proper shot, you know? Then you don't lose the white ball. You won't lose the white ball if you play position for an imaginary 10th ball. You know, and it was almost like he played that to play position on an imaginary ten ball, and the way in that nine, the, uh, uh, Hill, Hill, Hill to play it. like that, that, that those last few balls are just insanely confident. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, if he's on, if he's on the table, he's a favorite to make the shot. Well, it was, yeah, yeah it was. A I was two balls are on the same table. He's a pretty good chance. It's almost like I was speaking to a guy in the crowd, and it, it's almost like Josh has got this little box inside him. And he puts in all the negative, the nervous energy, all the negative stuff, the nervous energy, the, the 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 tension that he's going through in the match. He keeps it in that box, and he's able to just ignore it and not let it pop open, not let it overflow. And then you saw he makes a nine ball. He goes round in the crowd, and the box just opens, and he's and he's going crazy. And it's, it's so difficult to do not to let that. You look at other players. I watch the experienced, experienced back arm shaking all the way through hill hill matches or, or last racks, and the proper experience. This player shaking. Josh is just cold. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's kind of sick. Amazing. I mean, I, I that's sick. That's there's, sick. there's nobody. I mean, Josh is a Josh is Josh is the best. I mean, at this at this level that he's playing at right now. I mean, if he can maintain this, is anybody gonna say that he's not the greatest who ever did it? I mean, we're we're talking way short, but I mean, the the highs that he's reaching right now are just well, silly. Yeah, I don't know that it's it's you know I mean I feel like he what year did he win the U.S. Open World Championship? It's starting to run. It was that 2017 or 2018. Like this has been like four or five years, guys. And yeah, he had like over COVID. Like what 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 are his dips? Well, his dips were COVID. You know what I mean? I was that really a dip or was that a lack of tournaments? You know, we just didn't get to see him for a year and a half. Like the bottom line is, since he's been around, he's been winning majors and winning everything. And I don't know. I mean. He's not the only guy winning, like like Jim says. You got a few other guys, and you're you're not only are you going to have Shaw, Shane, and uh, and 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 you know you didn't mention Federer on that list, of course. Once Federer's back in the mix, but like the bottom line, of course, other guys are going to win tournaments. But but man, he's he's a bright star for sure. Well, let me ask if I can butt in. I'd like to ask Chris. I mean, you know, you you played in the tournament, you were around in the tournament, you watched a lot of matches. You know, we know who the stars are. Who impressed you that you got to see play? Uh, who did you not know a lot about there or, or, you know, who really stood out to you and, and what made it, what made them catch your eye? So there was the, the young kid from Finland, like Ricky yeah. Rompanen, I think. Ricky, yeah. So he obviously, you know, he, he looked like he can play really, really well. And he's got a lot of, got a lot of bottle, a lot of, a lot of nerve. So he could do really well in the future. Um, other people, I didn't really know that uh, Alexa, Pickel, yeah, Pickel, Pickel, 
can't really remember his name, but yeah, he looked again, you know, he looked really, really good. Uh, there's a guy from the UK that I didn't really know. He played before I started a guy called Luke Rollison. Um, so he beat a couple of really good players during the tournament. And he's got a really, uh, a lot of people you see in the UK have very rigid styles of playing. It's so all snooker, English eight ball style. He had a really kind of loose kind of nine ball Filipino style of playing, which is really nice to watch. Um, that's pr- probably the main three for me, I think. Yeah. Didn't Luke, Luke uh, want to be- beat that uh, Copigny? No, it was Luke Garland. Luke Garland, ah, right, yeah. Right, 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 right. Luke Garland ran uh, a seven-pack against him and ran a seven-pack in the match before that. Is that right, Jim? Luke, yeah. Luke beat uh, Mark Maggi and uh, Abdullah um, Oyosas. And uh, I think was, JJ uh, beat uh, – didn't JJ beat Copingy on the B-side? No, he beat one of the cores, but not the uh, – I, I think it was, was Copingy. Yeah, because Coping Chung was beat by uh, Nick DeLeon. Okay, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Cole, Cole, Cole broke first. Garland won the rack, and then he ran seven after that to go eight and all up. Cole started soft breaking at eight four. Luke said to the referee, "Can you come and watch this guy's break? He's soft breaking." The crowd had already started to form, and everybody was saying, "You know, he's soft breaking. He's on a four pack now. Wouldn't surprise if he runs a set here from eight nil down." The referee stands at the end of the table to watch his break. Hasn't said anything to Cole. Just stands at the, the end, of, end of the table to watch his break. Cole realizes he's been watched. He hits it a little bit harder, dry breaks, and Luke runs it out <laughs> for a nine-four. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to respond to a comment though. So there's been talk about you know uh, Ricky and how amazing and you know on a trajectory to be as good as, as filler or possibly better. I I listen. I just want to say I'm not here to predict. I'm not here to tax anybody or predict anything. But I think that it's really, really, really misleading to watch somebody's trajectory uh, on on the early part of their pool career and then try to extrapolate that to the later part of their pool career. Because in my experience, like from what I've seen, getting from like 770 to 800 or 820 is far harder than getting to 770 by and it, and it gets exponentially harder exponentially harder exponentially harder so like for example i think that like if i if i could tell you it was almost like the easy part of my pool journey well i i don't want to throw it i don't want to assault it but i i think like getting to 700 is compared to getting from 700 to like 730 740 it's like that last 30 points was like a lifetime's worth of work for me anyway. And I'm not competing internationally. I I just, what I'm trying to say is, and then the other problem is, is that a chain is composed of a lot of links. So if you've got the break and you've got shot making, you've got mental game and you've got cue ball and safeties and, 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 and all these different things. And if somebody's playing world-class on almost every one of them, and they have a lot of talent and a lot of skills and a lot of those parts, but everybody's going to have a couple parts that they're not good at, that they're uncomfortable with, that they're challenged with. And when they max out all their strengths as hard as they can, and then they start dealing with their demons and their problems, uh, everybody's going to come to a point of the road where they're faced with, with stuff that's almost, that's, that's effectively insurmountable. Right. And it's, and, it, and listen, it's not just my opinion. If you look at how many players try to be filler, you know, how many players try to be filler, uh, how many, how many guys do we have like John Mora, you know, or Chris Melling, where these guys have devoted their life to the game? And they, I mean, look at Chris Melling is such an exceptional talent with his stroke and his and his ability and his power. And you watch a guy like that, and when he's coming up and coming up and coming up, it's like, oh man, this guy's going to be the best ever. And there's for every for every filler, 
there's a hundred guys that you would think would be filler, but that they just, it's almost impossible to do. And so again, it's the same thing I said to Nate when he was talking about Victor, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying you can't really, you can't really, you, you, you basically, it's not done until it's done and it's almost impossible to do. So I think that you can talk about potential. You can talk about trajectory. You can get excited and root them on, but, but I think it's premature to, you have to do it. You just have to do it. I don't argue. Sounds good to me. Well, let me uh, let me jump in here and uh, do the actual um, the results of this because I still haven't done that. Uh, we've already obviously said Joshua Filler wins. Uh, Francisco Sanchez Ruiz gets second place. Uh, third, fourth was shared with Shane Van Boning and uh, David Alkaidi. Fifth through eighth went to Sky Woodward, uh, Daniel McColl, Mario He, and uh, Alexa uh, Pikechi. Is that was that how to pronounce that? I don't know. Pichelch, I think somewhere. Pichelch, okay. Well, sure, good enough. Um, couple of uh, I got, I mean, kind of a. Imran Majid, I mean, that was a pretty good tournament for him. Um, I, I feel like he deserves a, a small shout-out as well for making the final 16. I mean, you haven't really seen him play. Yeah, and he, well, we're going to talk about the World Cup of Pool here now, and uh, I'm going to transition us into that. Uh, I have to turn his way into I it. go back to work. Yeah, and, and, and Nate, I'm going to have to bow up pretty quick. Worry, Jim, if anybody makes a mistake, we're good. I'm, I'm going to have to bow out in just a minute, but I, I just want to respond to this last comment when Trevor says, that's what I'm saying if he stays hungry. If you want something bad enough and are willing to put in for it, you can achieve it. Um, I don't. I, I just disagree. I, I think that if you look, I think that there's, if you look at the number of players that are 760 to 800 that have spent their life devoted to trying to be the best pool player they can, um, I think they all wanted it. I think they all tried really hard. Now you could point to some of them and say, okay, they've got, you know, maybe you could point to Billy Thorpe and say, well, maybe his discipline and work ethic, or maybe he hasn't played all the international events. And so that's, he hasn't put in enough, but like, I mean, Tyler, Tyler's playing all the events. He's practicing like a fiend. He wants it. John Mora, since he was 16 has been running around playing full time. He wants it. Like these guys, I, I don't know, man. I think that I think that there's a lot of see you've got a hundred people that are playing full time that want it. And there's only one spot for a guy like filler or, or three or four spots. So I, I, I don't really think, I think that if what you're talking about is I want to be the best player in my league and, and I'm playing in, a, in an amateur league. I think if you want it enough, yes, you can get that. But I think there, there's a point at which desire breaks down, which is the, the want it being hungry and wanting it bad enough. That doesn't step. The question is, here's the question, Trevor. And I'm, and I'm, I'm just talking with you. I'm not like lecturing or shouting. I just get passionate. I, I think, um, yeah, I think that, okay. I, 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 I think the point is, is that you have to ask this question. What are you doing that your opponents aren't doing? And if you're playing in a junior league where most junior players aren't doing what you're doing, you can set yourself apart from them. And if you're playing in an amateur league and you're like, well, I'm doing these things that they're not doing and I'm going to set myself apart from them. But once you're playing a hundred international full-time touring pros, like playing all the time, having a ton of desire, wanting it really bad, those things no longer separate you from your competition. And, and so it's, it's harder to distance yourself from them. That's all. And yes, uh, it's, it's exceptional. I, the, the part I definitely agree with you is your last comment, which is, um, our, our 13 to 14 year olds in the world right now. Um, I will say that I just spent some time 
with Ed Vondrell last night. Uh, he's a he's a he just turned 14. You know, he's he, he's playing really well. Uh, I'm getting together with Hank the Tank. He's another 14 year old that's running. The last time I played him, he broke and ran three racks of 10 ball on me at a big table. The interesting part is these kids are playing in the 18 and under, and the people winning the 18 and under. Well, Joey Tate won the 18 and under, but but Ed took second. The funny part is the 14 and 13 year olds are doing representing really well in the 18 and under because the game has progressed so quickly and the and the, the young guys are getting so good so young that the people in the 18 and under that are very competitive it's a lot of 13 and 14 year olds so i will agree that the young talent is coming faster and stronger and i do expect that some of them are going to go on and do great things i just get i just yeah those are my thoughts on it yeah. all right well i'm going to take this and let's go to uh let's go over to the world cup of pool and okay i'm gonna i'm gonna bow thank you very much guys all right. All right, so we're gonna Pinozo and Chris will uh, will take this one on. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up this list so that we all can see it. So everybody can see this, I hope. Uh, you guys, yeah, sure. So I, I guess the uh, the big the big glaring thing for me right off the bat is uh, Germany doesn't get a chance to uh, repeat. So. Uh, Kristoff was in the, the chat in the earlier on. Uh, I don't know if he's still out there, but uh, they won it last year, Kristoff and uh, Joshua Filler. And, you know, uh, I mean, if, if there's one thing that Emily has done for the most part, I mean, unless you're a legend like Earl or Efren or something like that, is there are no spots that are just guaranteed for the sake of being who you are or what you've done in the past for the most part. I mean, you actually have to earn your spot. And if you're not playing a lot of pool, if there's one thing that she is definitely consistent on, there is no spot that is guaranteed. And Christoph, we have not seen him hardly at all since last year. So, I mean, I guess, what do you guys think of that? Not getting a chance to uh, to represent. I mean, he's going to feel hard done by, um, no, no doubt. But, you know, as um, Matt Trumar feeling the way through these types of issues, this is an invitational. They're well within their right not to invite him. Um, but you know, if I was him, yeah, I'd be, I'd be disappointed. He's obviously probably got a, you know, a reasonably good chance of winning it again with Josh. Josh is going to carry them a long way. Renchies is a great player as well. You know, I've seen him play a bit in Holland um, a little while ago. Uh, so yeah, he's you know, good player in his own right. Uh, quite a good pair in having somebody so strong and then having somebody who's really willing to be led, which I think he was. Um, but yeah, difficult one for him. Difficult. Mike, what do you think? You know, it's a tough call. I mean, you know, I, I do like that you're not automatically in because you won last year. Um, although on individual events, it's always going to be the case where you're going to get invited back if you won the previous year. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure how he was chosen last year. I don't remember. I mean, with COVID, I don't know what if there were any kind of rankings, if it was just a convenience thing because of COVID and travel that he was able to come with Josh from, from Germany my or whatever the case was. So. My, my, my memory says that Josh picked him. If, okay, if, so now I could be wrong on that. I'm very open to be wrong on that. Um, but I think so, Josh picked you him. Know, so so if, if it's any case like that, then then, you know, he, he shouldn't be surprised that he wasn't an automatic pick to come back. Um, you know, you know, by the same token, you know, is, is Torsten the second best German? Is he ahead of Ralph? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how they picked these teams to tell you the truth, 
but it doesn't doesn't bother me either way. I think that they they came up with you know like like uh, Chris said, it's a, it's an invitational event. It's their choice on who plays with who. They're trying to make it as merit based as it can be, but there's always going to be a little wiggle room there, which is how you get an effort in there. Um, you know, we want great matches, we want great teams, we want something that's fun to watch, um, and you know, so that that's what they that's what they've done. I mean, Mario He has won the World Cup pool several times with Albin. He's not there. Um, and it's not like he's been playing poorly or hasn't been playing at all in the past year. He's been playing great. So, you know, changes like this, they're going to happen. I, I don't have any problem with them. Um, you know, people are going to play their way into whatever tournaments they can get into by, by merit. And this is going to be one of those that's going to be mostly merit, but not 100%. But it's, a, again, it's an invitational. It's a programming thing. It's, a, it's an event. Um, you know, they want to make it as compelling as they can. So I, I have no problem with it. Yep. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, I mean, like I said in the beginning of this, um, if there's one thing that Matchroom is consistent on, uh, if, if you're not doing the right things, if you're not playing, if you're not traveling, if you're not acting like a professional, you're not going to be treated as a professional. And um, I, I'm not saying that like Christoph is not acting like a professional as far as like his, his attitude, but he's not playing, right? He's not, he wasn't playing in the UK open. He wasn't playing in, uh, the I, maybe he played in the World Pool Championships. Honestly, I'm not I'm not sure if he did there or not. But uh, I I just haven't been seeing his M around, and I don't think that you're going to get too many arguments that this isn't the best team that Germany can create. I mean, if you want to say Ralph is playing awesome too, uh, sure. But I I think that with the the tournament finishes that Thorsen has had in the last few months, that uh, I don't. Do you guys do you guys disagree that this would be the best team on paper that they can create? No, probably you know. It probably is, you know, uh, and I'm sure Matcher have taken that into consideration when they were picking, you know, what is going to be the best team for them. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess, uh, is, are there any, looking at this list, are there any, any teams that are interesting to you? They're all interesting. Um, you know, I, I like, I like the Peruvian team, you know. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be cool to see, uh, uh, Chris, I think it's Tevez, uh, yeah. after, you know, his runner up finish in the, the 10 ball, I think that or the world 10 ball, I think it's gonna be interesting to see him back out there again. Yeah. Great to see. Um, you know, I like, they've got different teams, you know, they've got some, some, some new, they've got an Argentine team. Um, so yeah, all, all good stuff should be a lot of fun. I mean, it's a great I, event. I think it's, is... it's one of the most enjoyable events to watch just cause I love the scotch doubles format. The, you know, trading shots, the discussion between the teams, the the national pride. Uh, you know, it's 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 really cool stuff. I think uh, the one that I, I think the other low hanging as far as an interesting team is, uh, of course, Alvin Ocean and Max Luckner, of course, because uh, you know Mario he lost his spot after winning what three of the last five years or something. Is it two of the last five, four years, or three of the last five years, whatever it was? Two, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean that's interesting, but of course they did go out in the first round last year. But they went out to a team that ended up making the semifinals, so it's yeah, it can happen, you know. And Max, you know, out of all the individual players on this list here, is there a more deserving person than Max to be on? Yeah, I mean or... he's he's certainly been knocking on the door in the past year or two, and has you know kind of been left out when he should have been included maybe once or twice in a couple different events. So um, this is a good make good. Uh, get him on the team, and he and Alvin are 
you know, thick as thieves. So, um, you know, should, it, it should be a great, great, great pairing. Should be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think that, that one's going to be, I mean, obviously that's the other low hanging fruit. I think there's three very, very interesting teams. Um, the Germany, Austria, and then I think the Philippines, of course, uh, Efren Reyes uh, making the team again. And I, I mean, I, I actually have a, I actually, to be honest with you, I kind of have a problem with this. Uh, and, I, and I have a problem with this for the reason that there are a lot of, no one's going to say that Efren Reyes is a, probably even a top 50 player in the Philippines right now. I, I don't think that you could make no. the argument he's a top 50 player. And on top of that, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it's a third world country, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very poor country. And I think, I think you're honestly taking it uh, a chance away from, you know, somebody who could actually, you know, I'm not saying like they need the income, but like the idea is like you're giving an opportunity to somebody who's obviously at this point in his career, besides the, you know, besides the the legend that he's built. Cause of course, I, I mean, everybody's everyone's favorite player usually, or at least the, you know, they think the greatest of all time is Efren Reyes. And I believe that too. I think he's the greatest of all time, but that doesn't change the fact that he's not worthy of that spot. Yeah, uh, at least from a playing perspective right now. And I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a marketing thing. It's a TV show at the end of the day, but I, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, has Luna not been picked because he decided to go to a 10 ball tournament rather than play in the UK open? Possibly, you know, James yeah. Reyes hasn't played in a lot of the matchroom events. I don't think maybe a couple that have been in the States. I don't know really who else they were going to, who else they were going to pick well, and for matchroom. Well, I mean, well, you're talking Anton Raga. I mean, there's, there's so many players that you can pick. Well, I'm not denying they've got a load of players. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying who's yeah. turning up and putting their name in the matchroom hat. They're not well, Efren, well I'll, I'll say this, Efren isn't. Efren hasn't, but, you know, it's a great wild card for matchroom to be able to pick, right? All of the Philippines are going to tune in to watch it if it's on a reasonable time. You know, he's as famous as it gets over there. Oh, he's uh, a legend. I mean, it's definitely a marketing ploy. Like, I'm, yes, I I yeah. understand the idea that this is a TV show and he is going to be, he is going to get ratings through the roof. I mean, this is a genius plan or a genius idea for uh, um, Matchroom as far as like just getting ratings. But, you know, to be honest, it's almost not even fair to Carlo Beato. It's almost I, just, I don't I, think Carlo Beato is going to complain about playing uh, yeah, with, I don't think, yeah. with Efren Reyes in a, in a scotch doubles thing. So, sure. um, yeah, you know, listen, it, 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 like you said, it's it's made for TV. It's it's one player out it of is, 64 yeah. that you may have a little bit question with. You know, you, you let them do what they want to do. You get, I'm going to watch that match. And if he was playing with oh, Roberto Gomez, am I I'll going out of the way it. to watch that match? Probably not. No, I'll be glued to my. I'll, I'll be glued to the TV. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I don't care if it's on at three in the morning. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching that match from start to finish. I, it's, it's very interesting. I just, you, you, you just look at the. I mean, at the end of the day, the the World Cup of Pool is not a serious event as far as you know. I shouldn't say a serious event, but it's not like it's not. There's there is no smokescreen that you're picking the two best players from every single country. And it's been like that for several years now. So, I mean, I get the idea of it. And to be honest, like it's, it's, it is going to be genius. I mean, they're going to, this might be the, this, whatever that matches, whoever they draw, that will be the highest, that will probably rate higher than the finals. On the, I mean, unless they continue to win every single match that they continue to win going on to the finals, it's going to be, you know, more and more and more, but whatever match that's whatever, you know, if they only play one match, that'll probably be the highest rated of that, you know, of that event. 
I don't know. So uh, I, I guess let's move on from the Philippines. Uh, let's 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 talk favorites at this point. Uh, what do you guys think? Who's if you had to pick one one uh, favorite and then one dark horse? What do you, what do you guys got, Chris? Spain. I'm going for Spain this time. Uh, I think Al Qaeda and FSR. It's going to be tough to beat this year. Um, they've been paired up how many times before? Three times before, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah, at least. Uh, but you know, I. I still fancy them for it, especially the way they're both playing. They're both playing great, you know. Um, beforehand, previous years, you'd probably say David quite a bit, definitely more experienced, probably playing better than Fran. But now you've got to say they're probably, probably who's your dark horse? <clears throat> My dark horse, I'll go for Jim and Chris Melling. I'll go for uh, G Great Bit and B as a, as a kind of dark horse, I guess. Uh, they're not really dark horse, both really, really well known. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see how. So, I don't know whether Jason didn't pick Chris. I don't know whether that was the case or, or not. But I did always think that Jason and Chris were a match made made in hell. You know, they're not going to. They're great mates off the table, but their playing styles on the table. And you could see it in between shots at previous tournaments where they played together. You know, they're having a bit of a discussion about who should play what shot. Yeah, I don't believe they can do anything so they get down and play the shot that the other person didn't want to <laughs> play, and you know, kind of a bit, a bit of that going on. So I think for Elliot playing Jason was great for him. Imran and Chris, I just don't know what that pairing is going to throw up, but it could work, could work like a dream. All right, what's your Penoza? Um, my favorite. I'm going to go uh, with. Uh... Misko and Wojciech. And for my dark horse, I'm going to go with Loho Sum, Robbie Capito. I'll tell you what, Robbie Capito. Uh, I mean, I've, I've known the name for a couple of years now, but his, I, I think he's getting ready to enter into that, um, you know, that, 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 that Richter, middle that Richter level. <laughs> no, not that. No, not that level. Not that level. But uh, I think Robbie Capito is getting to the point where he is going to be a household name, not 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 in like a, a threat to win any single tournament that he plays in, but you know one that could definitely definitely go deep into any event, you know, semifinals, quarterfinals, something like that. He, I think he's getting to the point now where his game is getting to that level. So I, I could see that. And Lowell Sum's playing great. I mean, he's, he's playing with confidence clearly. All right. Well, uh, my my, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Poland too, and that's of course because Wojtek's on that team, and you know whatever. I don't care. I'm a homer. I like Wojtek, and I like Mieszko. So we're going Team Poland. My dark horse is going to be, uh, I think I think it's going to be Kuwait. I think um, I think actually that team could end up. I, I could, I could see Kuwait winning this. Yep. This tournament, I I could absolutely see Omar. I mean, Omar had a stretch last year where i mean he was if he wasn't winning everything i mean he was right in the mix in the last four on every single event and he, he's fallen off of that big time but uh i i think that you know he's he's played on that stage he's been there and he's he's done all right he's done fine and i i think that bader is uh again another player that's you know kind of coming through the ranks and putting his uh his time in and building up and i could see i could see that that team going deep too where's so, al yusuf from is al i thought al yusuf was from Kuwait. He's, really he's Kuwaiti yeah. as well. Yeah, really yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I, I thought that the team this year should have been Al Yusef. Omar. And, and, and Omar, Omar, right? Well, could have been. Yeah. Omar really hasn't done much in the past. 
Yeah, you could argue the past yeah. twelve months to uh, to 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 dazzle me, but um, but you know it's it's great that Kuwait's got to the point now where you got three guys who are fighting for two spots, all of equal ability. Uh, so good for them. Very very similar to uh, to Austria now. We're, they're on different levels, of course. I'm not trying to say that Kuwait's three players are the same, but they're the same kind of style where you have three guys that are potentially fighting over those two spots. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, I don't know. Did you guys want to? Uh, did you guys want to take any time to discuss the uh, the um, Jason Shaw seven fourteen to six sixty nine? He seems upset about it. <laughs> two world records now, right? So he was saying yeah. the other day that it's been kind of he's got the unofficial in the official or something. I don't know what he was trying to say, but yeah. um, didn't seem too upset. Yeah, yeah, he's twisting it into he's definitely twisting it into um, a positive. He's going to beat it in like two, three weeks' time anyway. So what does it matter? It's only a talking point for the next couple of weeks, and then he's going to go and run eight, nine, a thousand probably. He's going to do a thousand, I'm sure of it. Think so. I think so. I think so. Uh, you can definitely Mike, do- put him in his place. <laughs> no, I, I mean, thousands, thousands a lot to run. <laughs> yeah. Thousands a lot to run. But um, I mean, you got to get really lucky to run that many racks yeah. without getting hooked on a break or without getting kicked it with something. But, um, you know, I mean, the, the great thing about straight pool is that there is no limit to what you can run. It's, it's infinite. I mean, he can make, can he make a thousand shots? Yeah. Is he going to get a thousand shots? You don't know. So, um, you know, do you I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's, um, I don't know. I've, I'm kind of played out on the, uh, the, the race to break the straight pull records. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't do it for me right now. I'll tell you the truth. Well, I think you're the only person then. <laughs> do you think probably not surprising? <laughs> Mike, Sorry? you think a thousand's possible? We think that's just like I think. I think anything's possible. Like I said, it's, a, it's a, there's no there's no limit to what you can do. Uh, you know, there's no rule in the game that says you have to stop at a certain point. There's no, you know. But I just think that you'd have to get. But I thought you'd have to get extremely lucky to get seven hundred. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, it just it's all it's all luck of the break, luck of the lay of the balls, and where it goes from there. I mean, he, he's not going to miss shots that he can see. I know that. Uh, but, you know, you got to get all those out. You got to get a thousand opportunities, and that's tough to do. I think it's hard to argue against a thousand until you see Josh at least try it. I think Josh is, at, at this point, with the way that Josh is playing, to say a thousand is impossible, would, you would have to literally ignore what you watched from Josh in the last month. I, I I think Jason I was perfect for a high run, though, straight pull. Because if you watched, I only, my friend texted me when he was doing the last high run, and I only caught the last seven or eight <clears> runs. <throat> but, you know, you, he's just walking around, potting the ball every two or three seconds, dropping them in like he hasn't got care in the world, running through he reps. Ran, he ran 714 balls in two and a half hours. It's just crazy. So, you know, energy-wise, I watched a bit of John Schmidt starting his run the other day. But it's, you know, he's running around and he's, you know, he's jumping over the table and he's, you know, there's a lot of, lot of energy going on there. Whereas Jason's just looks like he's out walking his dog. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Jeff said he would like to see uh, a match between Schmidt and Jason Flight. Um, I'll guarantee you, John doesn't want any of that. <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be fun to watch, but I'll guarantee you, John wants nothing to do with that as far as big money. Does John play like competitively anymore? I haven't seen him at any tournaments recently. Is he still play, trying to play high level? Um, he, he did play the play the International Open. I think he played. If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. um, I don't think he played the World Championships, but I know he, he played in one event recently, and it was a big one. So it, it must have been the International. Open it was, he yeah, he played the International. Yeah. yeah, but that was the first time I've seen him play anything, at least nine ball or ten ball related for a while. I mean, probably since before COVID. Right, right. I think he's played um, played a couple of one pocket matchups. I think maybe a, a one pocket tournament here or there, but I can't think of anything else besides the international open. I don't know. I, I think, I don't know. I just want to see Josh do this. I, I, I want to, I, I mean, I want to see, I want to see Jason do it too. Cause I think, I do think that, you know, it, it's so hard because you, you, when you're, when you're trying to run this many balls, you're not really, you're not really avoiding misses as much as you're avoiding you know, how often is Jason going to miss on a five inch pocket or a nearly five inch pocket? Really what you're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to dodge, you're trying to dodge skids and, you know, Kicks bad kisses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, you're that's... And the way, and, and even the way that he's breaking the balls, I don't even like, I mean, it would take a really bad kick to get uh, kicked in off of the break. I mean, he was, his breaks were so controlled. I mean, he had, obviously that's how his run, uh, his run ended last time was the, the scratch into the long air, which is kind of a, you know, a fluky one to begin with, but his breaks were so controlled. I mean, for, for breaking the balls, it's, you're really trying to avoid skids is skids and, you know, having bad kicks off of, you know, breakout shots. It's, yeah how the guys doing these big runs keep their concentration for so long is you know i just don't know i seen john doing his the other day he had headphones in i think jason was just walking around kind of in some kind of weird autopilot zone that us normal players don't ever find when he was doing his i run yeah it's crazy it's, it sure is something isn't it yeah i don't know i i i mean i I'm not in the the mic camp there. I, I think this is exciting, and I think this is the one thing that transcends. Now, you can say you can say that it's a it's you know you're kind of over it as far as like the pool sense, but I don't think you would argue that this transcends a sport like nothing else, right? In what way? The ability to reach outside the industry. Was there an article about John's high run in the New York Times or something like that, or in some big newspaper? He was also he was also on Fox, some Fox affiliate. He was also on uh, MSNBC. He was on the Today Show or something like that. Like, how many of those shows has Jason been on since he got seven hundred? Well, apparently, uh, well, I mean, according to Bobby Chamberlain on the podcast that we just did this uh, this past week, he's been on all of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I don't think, uh, I think you're over uh, playing, transcending the industry with a straight pool run when 90% of America doesn't know what straight pool is, doesn't know what a straight pool run is, um, and it's not a competition. So I just, I just don't, 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool when John did it and we put him on the cover and wrote a big story. But to me, that was more about John's personal quest that he had all those years, his respect for Moscone, his respect for the run, his respect for the game, how much it meant to him and how he would, he would have tried it whether anybody taped it or not. He would have kept trying it and trying it and trying it. That to me, the journey to me was what the story was. Running 700 balls in, in a room with nobody there just because of, I, I don't, I don't see that going anywhere with the sport. I mean, you know, we're trying hard enough to get professional nine ball, you know, up and, you know, getting it outside of industry circles uh, with what Matchroom and Predator are doing. You know, that's where our efforts should be. And that's, that's where we've got a chance. I don't think guys, to me, it's, it's like the world record whole being, it's like a Guinness world record thing. Okay, the guy who's got the world record for the most free throws in a row is probably some bald five foot nine inch hardware salesman from Ohio no, who just stands no, there think, for hours and hours and throws the ball in the basket. And, and I don't and, think that's the right analogy. It's it's probably not a good analogy because what they're doing is is phenomenal from a concentration and ability standpoint. And straight pool is a great game. But, but I don't well, think that I, this is taking the game anywhere. I think a better analogy. Because everybody knows what basketball is, right? I mean, that's really what you're talking about here. Everybody knows what a free throw is. We're not talking about that. I think that honestly, I think the better analogy is uh, the hot dog eating contest every July Fourth, right? <laughs> every time, but that's serious, right? Every time they found a little niche, and every time that world record gets broken, it is blown up on all of national media. And to be honest with you, like it could be broken every single year, and it would get highlighted every single year. Like you can't. Like no, sure. Nobody gives a crap about hot dog eating contests the other 364 days a year. But 100%. during that day, during that day, people care. And I and does everybody and I, run out eat saying, hot dogs the next day? I mean, we want people to go out and start playing well, pool. We want people to watch what? pool on you know TV. What, Mike, we want people. I, <laughs> if you're going to ask that question, you're going to let me answer because I will guarantee you, Nathan's hot dogs stores have a huge bump the entire week leading up and the entire week after that i i would venture to bet my life on that buddy you know good and damn well that it, i bet you nathan's stocks goes through the roof during that week and then drops down a week later so yes i would venture to say that people do go out and eat hot dogs okay. i'm not saying right. well, everybody we'll in the world we'll, but we'll, we'll we'll see where straight pool high runs guess all I'm saying is if we get if, if we can get something that actually leads to national recognition each time it happens, even if it's silly hot dog eating contest analogy type of things, we're better off afterwards than we were before. Yeah, it's difficult to see how it could hurt. That's I mean, that's that's my opinion. on. I, I, I with that being said, like. I buy into the buzz of it. I, I like the buzz of it. I, I like the, the work that's going into it. And I think it's good for the sport. You can't, you can't argue that whenever these things get broken, that the industry isn't different for the next week. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. No, in our little circle. Yeah. It's all big news. Well, as long as I can get you to say that I'm happy. now. <laughs> what do you guys think? Are you want to, are we ready to wrap this up and go get ourselves some hot dogs? Please. I'm going. I'm, I live in Wisconsin now. I'm going to get a bratwurst. You can take your Nathan's uh, hot dogs. I eat bratwurst now. Nate. I don't even. I hate bratwurst, and I'm from Wisconsin. So we're like neighbors now. Every we're neighbors, Mike. I know. 
I'll have to. Uh, we'll have to. I, I think uh, tomorrow on my way to uh, Milwaukee to fly to Vegas. I think we should uh, meet up for a cocktail. It'd be fun. That's we'll have fun. We're gonna have. We got. We got a lot of people to get together with in Vegas. Chris, you're gonna be there for the uh, Moscone Cup. No, I don't think so. No, but I'll be in America for like six or seven weeks. Playing Are you playing in international or NBL in New Jersey, I think, then the U.S. Open, then the international. And How think... in the world are you playing the NBL? That's for American residents only. Well, it's for, well, it's on the matchroom calendar, and according to... Oh, okay, right. Okay, yeah, I see. Yeah. Nine ball, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Nine ball one, yeah. So, uh, and then I think there's another tournament in Texas or something during that kind of uh, period. Um, so, yeah, hopefully um, I'll see you both at one of those, maybe. Yeah, look forward to it. That's a really funny comment, Matt Poland. That's why the BCA blew their role in having anything to do with it. The hot dog high run of 40 is actually 37 because a crumb fell out of his mouth at 30. <laughs> that's really funny. I like that. That's really funny. All right. All right. That's the perfect thing to close out on. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. And uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hopefully everybody likes you. Thanks for having me. Speak soon. If not, you'll never be seen again. Thanks. I'm still waiting for my Manscaped thing, by the way. <laughs> you too, huh? Me that. Really? Yeah. We'll I'll have to talk off the screen. To me. Okay. All right, mate. All right. Cheers. Thanks.